Um, okay, so I have here Brian accuses Mike of being a butt plug. <laughs> exactly. I just remember that line stood out to me. Um, and I do really love Brian. That's the thing is Brian always gets painted in, I think, the narcissistic way. Like he's greedy. He only wants sex. Like he doesn't care about others, but he does really. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad free? Head on over to our Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads. You get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I want to thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Just a brief message before what I know you all are going to absolutely love as an episode today. I have such a great guest. There are two book clubs going on during this spooky season. Happy spooky season, everyone. I am hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Book Club. We are reading Parachute Women by Elizabeth Winder. It is all about the women behind the Rolling Stones and even the invention of rock and roll's success. And then Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, is reading Haunted, Asylums, Prisons, and Sanatoriums by Jamie Davis. So to join both book clubs, you just have to go to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. Each book club has its own membership level, so each is $4. If you want to join both book clubs, then join the ITBR professor level instead of like joining each book club separately because for $10 a month, not only do you get both book clubs, you also get all of our bonus audio and video episodes and also our entire video and audio episode catalog, including this episode ad-free. So can't wait to see you all. The deadline to join both book clubs is October 20th. That's because Mary and myself, we have to just make sure that we coordinate the private Zoom a session that we'll have with all our book club members. So I can't wait to see who's in the book club and get your hands on Parachute Women and Haunted um, for our book clubs. And then also, I'm now offering consulting. So everyone out there, if you know someone who has college admission essay questions, they're not sure where to start with the undergraduate college process, they have financial questions about college, I was lucky enough and had a lot of financial conversations about um, loans and I actually don't didn't have any loans from my college experience and I was able to get scholarships so I can help you with that. I can help with graduate school questions, um, graduate school thesis editing, dissertation editing, 
uh, podcast questions, help with your podcast, starting a podcast, social media branding questions. I'm here for your services. So my initial consultation fee is only $30 and it's a one hour Zoom. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room and you'll see that consultation option. Okay, without further ado, here is today's episode. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and welcome back to ITBR Rewatches Queer as Folks, Season 1, Episode 2. I am joined with a good friend of mine, Matthew Matt Stellarud. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so glad you're doing this because I consider you the powerhouse of LGBTQ media and social media, but also... I think you're going to have some really interesting perspectives with what you were doing with media and the LGBTQ community when this show was premiering in 2000. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you were you're the vanguard of all things, <laughs> you know, queer media in my eyes. But Matt is the president. Everyone's going to be like, wait, what is Matt Andrew? Don't bury the lead. What does Matt do? So Matt is the president of Pink Media. And he specializes in LGBTQ plus online marketing, targeting gay and lesbians via content marketing, marketing, social media, um, smartphone apps. Uh, in 1995, this is what I really am eager to hear you discuss, Matt. He yeah. launched GayWire.com, which became one of the top three LGBTQ websites worldwide. And I think that'll be very interesting when we open up episode two with what's happening in our yeah. first scene. So um, welcome, Matt. Thank uh, you. Very excited to have you. And I know you just came back from, if you want to tell everyone out there, there was a really exciting uh, conference you were a part of. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was in Dallas and it was uh, it was kind of a blend of uh, celebrity, LGBTQ celebrities and, uh, and business. So that's how they were trying to give it more like a, a gay South by Southwest feel. And uh, but there was they had some amazing uh, celebrities that India Moore was there was there on stage and and she came on stage with her mother, which was which was really a, a it was great to see. And uh, Billy Eichner and oh. Anthony, I forget his last name, but uh, and I should but I should know. But uh, he was from Queer Eye for the straight for the straight guy. And he was the he's kind of their food expert. And he was amazingly animated as he as he did a whole cooking thing up there as well. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, I think to remind the audience, so episode one, when I was with Christian Garcia, it ended with Justin being dropped off at school by the erratic Brian. Uh, <laughs> yep. Brian gets, I think, even more layers in this episode, but he like drives off with his you know, best friend, Mikey, and then we're just left with Justin in his school environment and then Brian and Mikey entering back into their late 20s friend group and how the late 20s, early 30s is basically um, a death in the queer community of society. <laughs> or I keep hearing this every episode because I just turned 31, Matt, and I'm like, wait. <laughs> I can't believe that Brian is 29 and yeah. he thinks that he is past his prime. Like I it's, it's, it is interesting what's happening with age, but so when did you, before we just jump right into episode two, 
Yeah. When did you first see Queer as Folk, the Showtime show? Oh, well, the show, I mean, and then, you know, it, just so that everybody is absolutely clear, there was the original, and I, I had watched that a few years before. So that was, uh, I think it was based in Manchester. And instead of Brian Kinney, his name was Stuart. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, guy you, the guy you feel for love and is a villain at the same time. And, um, and so then when we knew that, you know, Showtime was coming out with this, with this new series, they were, they were really hyping the heck out of it. So, so, um, I mean, I was, uh, I think I was one of those because also age-wise I was in my early thirties at that time too. So this was really well-timed for me personally and everybody around me in terms of uh, kind of identifying with, uh, with so much of what they brought to the screen. And, uh, and it's funny and it's always, it makes you feel a little naked when you're like, oh my God, th th this is us. And, and a lot of it felt very real. And you said to me before we were recording that rewatching and returning to the series, this is the first time you've rewatched episode two since yeah. you first yeah. saw it premiere. Actually, the whole the whole series, I have uh, wow. I don't typically I don't typically um, go back and rewatch uh, series too often once in a blue moon. But uh, so this one I had not. It was just, you know firmly embedded in my mind as far as, you know, the overall impact. So to watch it after it's been what, really 23 years. And, uh, and so it was really, uh, it does, it does bring back a lot of feelings and so forth, but it's also interesting when you're seeing these people that you've come to learn and you come to know over all those years um, through the, through the different seasons, but to, but you're seeing them at the very beginning when their characters were just in, in development and they were just kind of getting started in terms of understanding who they were in context of the show. Well, and I'm just curious with Pink Media or yeah. all of the work, even with Gay Wired, what were you doing in 2000? Yeah, well, um, that was the dot com. That was like the height of everything at that point. So so we were we were writing really high because at that moment then in time, that's when it was really uh, Gay Wired, Gay.com and Planet Out. And there was a group of investors that actually tried to acquire our company at the time. And um it didn't. It didn't finally. At the, in the end, it didn't work out. But, um, but for about a year, we were all trying to do things together. They were pumping money into our company and trying to figure out, what, you know, like how we can grow. But it all happened at the same time as this. And I will tell you that um, Showtime came to us, and and Queerest Folk uh, was a huge advertiser of ours through Showtime. And so we were we were very embedded with a lot of this, both on the business business end and, of course, just on the personal side. Well, and it's been 23 years, like you've said, since it premiered. Yeah. Um, have you ever had a chance to meet anyone from the Queerest Folk universe? Oh, I wish I did, but no. Out of when I'm when I'm running around at some of these events, uh, 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 they had not they had not come across my path. Uh, we did do some cross promotions with them in New York, uh, probably in 2000. Um, at the at the Javits Center, where they had this huge at that time LGBT expo that they would have every year, so we had a we did a bunch of promotions with them. But um, at least when I was there, their cast did not come in. Yeah, and I think I have to correct a cast member's name because just with T H E A, I thought it was Thea Gill, but it's not. I think oh. it's Thea. I want to make sure I say it right, but I will confirm that. So just so that actress is not. You know, I want to be respectful. And uh, Michelle, actually, shout out to Michelle, who plays Melanie. Um, she follows us now on the social, our social media. So it is, you know, people, the cast is becoming aware of our rewatching. So with all of that said, 
I want to just jump into episode two. So, you know, you were at that dot com. There's the dot com boom right now. It's 2000 and episode two begins with. I just love that Ted is watching these hot men on their webcams. Yeah. And I think 2000, I was still um, in elementary or I think I had just entered elementary school. But uh, I do remember, though, like the height of the webcam, like yeah. even I had gotten a webcam to like talk to friends and it was like a, such a huge deal. I mean, to think now that we're on Zoom and our um, video and microphone, everything's embedded in the computer. Yeah. It's just, I think, unfathomable to us back then. So, you know, was that something relating to Ted? Was that something you knew that men were like going onto these webcam sites? Oh, all of it. Absolutely. I think that's what also helped pull a lot of us in is because it really, it really was um, on point. It was timely. It was, they're showing a reflection of who who we were at that very moment. And uh, and I'll tell you, especially when it comes to uh, that whole webcam and streaming video, because all of that was a transition from DVDs, and, uh, and which were really hot, especially in the porn world, and DVDs into streaming. And, and of course, now it's all about OnlyFans and all that. But the evolution, they caught a really great snapshot in time. And, um, and just pointing out that, you know, the porn industry oftentimes leads uh, the rest of the industry when it comes to certain technologies. And uh, that was a huge one. And so seeing all that was really kind of fun. And of course, as we know, that 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 story arc continues on in, in future seasons as well. And this bond that the three of them have, Michael, Emmett, and Ted, I like rewatching this, found it so refreshing how they are always checking in with each other. Like it yeah. really is such a strength the strengthening of their friendship. And I mean, Michael, his manager job at this almost, it looks like a Walmart. I don't know where he is, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the nondescript uh, big box store. And he's asked if he uh, can find jockey shorts for this like hot guy. He's like, yeah, that's where it is. And then he kind of knows that the guy is gay. And yeah. then like his coworker like uses a slur against this customer because he's with his boyfriend or husband and um you know it does feel that times have shifted in mm -hmm. terms of like the acceptable homophobia or even it like just being that apparent at the workplace i mean maybe oh, that's yeah. my reading but yeah <laughs> what no, did you no, think no. was going on that with that scene yeah no things things have changed although sadly we wish that things had changed uh quicker and and uh and, and all in a straight line of being more positive from that point to where we're at today but when you see that it was actually i thought it, it, made, it made me feel sad but and i'm sure it did for everybody that watched it because you know you at the end of that scene after and all she did she just kind of went you know did the whole which was very common back then when people would just kind of go i think he is and yeah. um no, like the flip of the wrist yeah so she yeah. does she does this whole thing but then they you know when he turns around they put their you know and he realizes they were laughing at or they felt that they were being laughed at they just put their stuff down and they were they were out and uh so it made me feel sad and it was just kind of like one of those things that you know I, you could see something like that even happening today unfortunately well and that michael is even part of i know i know this acceptable homophobia to try to like save face or the uncomfortability of knowing that he's not out at the workplace and then oh maybe this couple is going to um 
threaten him coming out or um, he has to like play along with the workplace dynamics of, you know, putting down the queer person. Um, So, and then we get Emmett, who I forgot, like works at a boutique or a clothing store. Um, And okay. So that's where we are with them. Do you have anything else to say about, you know, this trio at the beginning. I was just, just going to say that, tell you that, like, you know, um, for years afterwards, Emmett slash, um, I believe his name is Peter Page, but um, he was probably the most out there. Um, whenever whenever there were events, whenever there were things, the, the rest of the cast, you wouldn't really see at things, and you wouldn't see him on television and so forth as much, but he was really out there for quite a long time. And so he, in some ways, almost became kind of the face of uh, Queer as Folk for the rest of us as well. Well, and I was saying this in episode one that what's so interesting to me is how much backlash the cast was getting from like the mainstream media, especially Larry King. I'm not sure if you remember this, but like mm-hmm. kept pressing the whole cast to come out, like try to find everyone's sexuality. Uh-huh. Um, especially like this would happen with Hal Sparks and Gail Harold, um, who, you know, just said, like we're not like our sexuality is not the focus of the series like randy harrison like he should be given the voice or like you said peter page um and then eventually robert gant um and i do think michelle i want to say she's queer or a lesbian i think um and i think so is taya um but it might be you know (laughs) i think that's right so it is interesting, though, how the press was just so not saying like that's why they weren't always visibly at events. But I have a feeling it was a time where. You coming out as an actor, I mean, it's still a bit like there's still a headline in the press with you coming out. But I feel there was the microscope was yeah. really narrowed on all of them. Well, you can imagine in the back of their mind, sometimes they were thinking, well, if you're going to play gay on TV, you, you, uh, you can be gay, but not too gay. Yet at the same time, Queer as Folk was too gay. And that was the point of it. So perhaps in some ways they just uh, they balanced that uh, being a little over the top in, in their performances with just being a, a bit more reserved in the real world. So I'm not sure. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme, Cracking the Closet. So, starting in the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, 
writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Well, and I was just reading um, for an interview I had done about the Rolling Stones with a friend of our, the show, Elizabeth Winder, who like looked at all the women behind the Rolling Stones. Um, yeah. And I was like looking at female rock stars and Joan Jett, it's seen as queer, but like she's never come out. And they're like, why aren't you coming out? Why aren't you coming out? And she's like, just stop asking me. Like, <laughs> I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And I do feel we have to respect, like, I respect that enunciation or that announcement of this is my choice. And yeah, so all of that's to say is then we get this voiceover of Michael, like somehow I just wrote down, he's talking about uh, the allegory of the cave with Socrates. I'm not sure. (laughs) He always has these like philosophical interludes. Uh, This reminds me of that philosophy. Yeah, that one there, I think I, it was lost on me a little bit too. So yeah, I remember hearing that and just kind well, of- it was when the two men were shopping. I'm not sure why the allegory of the cave is coming up, but yeah. hey, the writing, I do have to say the writing team is very solid. Every time I'm watching these episodes, I feel that they are cohesively linking the voiceover with the action. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of miss that writing in current day TV. That's why I like to rewatch these series <laughs> from the 2000s. Um, yeah. But okay, so now we get into Brian Kinney, who's yeah. giving his work pitch, which it is interesting, though, to think about it. Michael is not out, but Brian, it's the complete opposite. It's yeah. like he's the gay icon of his workplace, and that his status is actually like from his sexuality. I wonder, like, do you think that that was realism? Like, did you know those who were out like that, who the whole workplace looked up to them because they were gay? Like, oh, he's the arbiter of style and aesthetic. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, of course, it's all, it, you know, depends on the individual personalities. But in, in, in that case, I would also point out that, I mean, in that opening scene, it was extremely obvious that they were connecting Brian Kinney's uh, persona to Sex and the City because- mm-hmm. You know Samantha being in the PR world as well from Sex and the City, when he comes out and with what he what he was saying, it it, it specifically emulated what Samantha said when she's like, first the gays, then the girls, and then everyone else will follow. They used they basically rewrote that line and put it in as for Brian Kinney. So then. 
for anybody kind of watching those two series, you kind of get this, you, you make the connection right away. You know where they're going to go with it. And Samantha, Samantha held no punches and was un unapologetic as well. And so I think their character arcs both uh, kind of uh, followed each other in that sense. And I always find it fascinating when he's like seeing what model they'll use for like this launching yeah. of product or um, I think is it so like you said it's a PR firm so it's like they always have to have a magazine spread or some kind of uh, kickoff for their campaign and it looks exactly like Randy Harrison it looks like Justin but like yeah. an older yeah. Justin yeah <laughs> I was like okay that that's not coincidental yeah. Um, no nothing was coincidental including like that whole scene was great too because that's another reflection of who we are and what we're capable of. People don't realize that, uh, you know, that, that whole gay world that happens under, you know, invisibly to most people, which is those little cues that he was getting from the guy in the audience. And of course we're seeing those magnified on screen, but we're like, Oh, of course they're, they're, they're definitely going to hook up in the bathroom. You could feel it coming. And of course they, you know, they, they put that in the scene, but that whole, that whole life, that gay men have, whether it was what they were doing then or what they do today with Grinder and so forth. It's uh it's it's kind of it's shocking sometimes because we're like, we don't want everybody to know what we do. Yeah. And I find it funny though when you have the coworker uh knowing that Brian is going to try to hook up with this guy. Yeah. And he's like, oh that walk that he's going on to the bathroom that's such a long hallway i better go chaperone or follow him <laughs> and help him and the co-worker is so understanding that he's about to you yeah. know he's cruised this guy by eating an apple which very adam eve sinful <laughs> behavior yep. imagery there and she's like okay you're gonna do what you're gonna do <laughs> like, exactly that, this is acceptable in their workplace i think is just like that to me is the messy. It is kind of an exciting, in my opinion, messiness of the early 2000s or late 90s is like they were trying to always push that boundary of workplace dynamics and sexuality um, that I feel now we do have much more of boundaries mm -hmm. of workplace behavior. And like that kind of comes into our TV shows. Like, I don't know. I don't really see a lot of those um, pushing the boundaries as much in terms of hooking up in the yeah. workplace. Yeah, it's probably, especially especially now, I think there's uh, just in the overall uh, era that we're in now, especially post Bud Light and Target and all the things that happened there. I think overall, you're just going to see kind of a, a pullback, a, a very quiet, gentle pullback from a lot of, whether it's brands, businesses, or or uh, television shows and movies, where they're just going to be like, ah, let's tone that down a little, so that we don't we don't become well, obviously, so we don't become boycotted, but so we don't become part of this conversation. I think they essentially, I mean, is that the right move? You know, uh, we would look at it and say, absolutely not. You know, that's where we're saying, you know, now it's time to step up and and show who, you know what you really believe in. But you're seeing that, and you're seeing that, and so. Uh, and today, when you compare it to what, what we're looking at back then, you can kind of see the, you know, how things go forward a few steps, but backward at the same time. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Brian, of course, follows this guy. Um, oh, and I love that line about when the male boss, I don't know who he is, but whoever is in the, he's like a head, you know, older white guy yep. <laughs> with a suit. 
uh, who's straight. And he's like, I think that this model, you know, he might be a little too. And then Brian just says, gay. He's like, yeah, yeah gay. <laughs> and, and Brian like turns to the women and they're like, I would go to bed with him anyway. I don't care about his sexuality. I did think that was actually a very provocative um, and em- almost empowering moment of the show to say it doesn't matter if this model what his sexuality is like kind of even meta of these actors in the shows themselves like it yeah. doesn't even matter if gail harold is straight you know which he is but like this is still a performance like you're mm-hmm. still part of a fantasy it was yeah. i thought really cheeky and like done in a productive way there yeah um, but it also helped identify i think with uh you know, at that time, uh, where, whether there was terms like metrosexuals and so forth, there was also that whole concept as far as people, uh, the world realizing that a lot of women would hang out with gay men in that sense. And so like hearing that banter as far as like, I don't care if he's gay, I'd sleep with him too, kind of shows that there was a lot of uh, uh, the, the relationships have very, very much evolved when it came to uh, who we were all friends with back then. Well, and we hear that all the time with, oh, should that actor... Yeah, I mean, we still hear it. And I think that's what surprises me. But right, Matt, you hear that all the time of especially I feel with gay actors like, oh, could they play a straight man who's, you know, in love? Like that was said levied against Neil Patrick Harris all the time. Um, Like, oh, wow. Can he really do justice to this character? But then I do find when it's a straight actor, he plays a gay man. um, We see that so much repeated Mm -hmm. in our culture that I would say it almost ups their resume in a way. Like it kind of gives them kudos of, wow, they really um, embody that gay man. Like they were believable. But I, I do think there still is a little double standard if I have to admit it, that when gay men or queer men who are out, they try to go into like the straight acting roles there's more circumspect or suspicion yeah no i think it's tricky i mean i i think that actors uh should should remain actors and they could play you know whatever role they are best best at but at the same time i'm not in that industry and i do know that it's it's as people say it's complicated so um but it came up even in dallas at one of the one of the uh, panels that was there with uh, there's a movie called i think it was called the mattachine family and so you had the director and one of the actors there and they were they brought up that exact same thing. So it's a very it's a very active conversation in the film festival world and the LGBT film festival world and all all throughout where everybody's trying to find like what is the right answer or the best answer when it comes to not only LGBT people uh, or straight people playing LGBT characters, but LGBT people having equal opportunity to be able to play any role that they want. And so, you know, that's why I say it gets complicated. Well, just like Norma Desmond sings in Sunset Boulevard, I can play any role. The only <laughs> reason it's so in the forefront of my mind is yep. Nicole Scherzinger is killing it right now, I've heard. And I'm like very envious of everyone in London. I like really want to see this production. But because I will message Betty Buckley and she did a fabulous, one of the best, I think, Norma Desmond's. But OK, that's going to bring us you, into you a have, tangent. In that, in that <laughs> statement, you have just earned your gay card. There we go. No, I know my Sunset Boulevard. I have my I have my gay references. Um, So, okay, Brian does his work pitch. Now we enter into Justin's world. And 
right? We kind of always have the professional world of like the older queer men. And then we have the high school. It's like these two worlds. And he's watching the football players showering. Of course, this is like tantalizing to us. We get the entryway of the jock straps and like the butts in the shower. I mean, yeah. I always just love those interludes. Um, but he is an artist, right? Justin is always looking for observation material for his mm -hmm. artwork. So yeah. I think we are getting his point of view a lot. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it also helps. I mean, it, it was smart. You know, it's a smart part of the entire story, whether it was the original in Manchester or what we're seeing here, which is just that, you know, when people are watching it, they do like to identify with some of the, you know, the characters. And so the, the entire cast, whether it's age, age range or experiences and so forth, they did a really good job of really kind of having such a broad array of, of people there. And then, of course, including bringing it to the part. I mean, that's about as young as you can get. So if you want to attract a, a young audience, that's as young as you can get is like brushing up on the, yeah, maybe they're seniors in high school, 18 years old, and looking in, and, you know, thinking about sexuality and the, the way they do in a show like this. Well, and I have to ask you, Matt, because you're not to say you're so much older than I am, but this is, <laughs> you know, you are. You of a different generation, but you are of a generation where I feel like male locker room showering. And like, I was even surprised that this scene is not surprised, but it reminds me of a scene that you would see in like high school, 1980s films. Yeah, like it has yeah. that very 1980s. Here's like the football players. They're all showering together because like when I went to high school, we did, we had showers, but we actually never like had the time to shower. Like, oh. We were never actually expected to shower. It was kind of just oh. like, you're not going to get sweaty enough to shower. The only time I actually showered was either when I went to a gym or um, when I was, you know, lifeguarding at a pool and had to do like tests for the American Red Cross, you know, like when yeah. it really required it. I feel when I was in high school, it was kind of, why would you want to shower? Like even when we were changing, there was, this even I felt um, embedded in our mind of like, don't look like, don't look away, like, don't wear yeah. revealing underwear. So like to imagine that it was that open, it was yeah. very interesting because, yeah, yeah. No, you have, I, I would always, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I, I would just say you have no idea. It's just, uh, Okay, so in the 70s and 80s, um, you were forced, you were required to shower. There was no, there was no option. And and it was really kind of creepy because the coaches would kind of be there, uh, PE teachers, whatever it was, they would be there and they were making sure by watching that you showered. So that always felt a little creepy. You're like, you know, do they need to be watching us? And um, so all that was going on at the same time, what, you're 12, 13, 14 years old when you're, you know, this all starts when you're in junior high school, uh, what they call middle school nowadays. And, um, but it starts at that point where, you know, you're going through all these things and you don't have a, you know, you really don't know what, you know, what's happening and there's no real reference points or, or, you know, there's no Ellen on TV to make you feel like, oh, she's going to hold my hand and allow me to become gay, you know, uh, uh, very, very peacefully. It's, it wasn't that easy. And so all this is going on at the same time. And there's all these guys that you've kind of been growing up with and all of a sudden they're all naked in front of you. And then some of them are going through puberty and some aren't. So it's a very, very, very confusing mm. time. And, uh, Sounds like a very exciting it. experiment <laughs> that was happening in the locker room of oh, who went oh through the God. puberty and who didn't. No. 
Oh yeah, it was because you did. You're like, wow. So that's what I've got to look forward to. Well, but I do have to imagine. Like I even see this with, um, like middle aged men at the gym locker room. I mean, I shower openly, and I mean, I'm very like body positive and whatever. Like I even will wear a jock strap to the gym, and like at first I'm like, oh my goodness, how about when I take my shorts off yeah. and like someone would see that I'm wearing a jock strap and I'm like who cares Andrew now I'm at that point but I yeah. do think like the younger generation we were kind of taught to almost be ashamed of being naked amongst each other but like what you're saying is I think it's interesting because I'll see men just there's always that stereotype of like an older man is just going to be walking around naked and like put his leg up on the bench and he doesn't care. But yeah. I do think it's embedded maybe from when you were in gym class that it was so acceptable in a way like that. Maybe. It's not just about them showing off their cock. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would say maybe because remember when you're, when, you know, in the in the middle school era or high school, you're amongst uh, peers, you're amongst everybody your age, except for the creepy coaches that are watching. And so um, and so uh, in that sense, there is there is very little as far as the showing off part. I mean, when I see a, when I see what I consider, even if it's a like a straight gym and there's some old man and he's just just parading himself around and putting his um, I still think there's a creepiness to that. Unfortunately. You know, like I always I always feel like there's an intent and he's just disguising it because he's in a place where you can't call him out on it. You can't say, hey, dude, what are you doing? Because he'll say, what? Why are you, you know, why are you thinking these thoughts? I'm just I'm just a guy walking around in the in the locker room. And you're like, well. I kind of feel like I know better than that, but you just have to. So it's this whole like unspoken game. I feel yeah. with, these, with these people. So, I mean, sometimes well, they just stand there and pose like it's just voyeuristic. Looking. I mean, or they're exhibitionists. Yeah. Right. And you're right, though. I do feel well, because every time I usually am at the gym, it's more my suburban Long Island environment. And like there are other openly, you know, gay or queer men there, but it's not like if I was in Hell's Kitchen, a gym there, or it's not like when I'm on Fire Island and working out. But I do think it's interesting because I think there's actually, this might sound contradictory, but I find that there's, because of what you're saying about the unspoken rules, I actually find that sometimes when there's more straight men, there's like more queer coded behavior than when I know that everyone else is out around me. Yeah, like, yeah. Maybe because I'm like, oh, okay, they're out. Like, yeah, they're just flirting. But then I'm like, wait, why is this guy doing this in the sauna? Or like, why is he like walking back and forth from the shower to the locker room? And then it's like, <laughs> you're like, is this, a, is he cruising? What's happening? I think, I think that also uh, is, is complicated. And the reason, it, the reason is, is because uh, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of what they're doing, it's uh how do you say that? How do I say this nicely? I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of men at the gym, straight men, um, they, they, they're working hard on those bodies and they want it to be appreciated. They want people, they want, they want somebody to see the sculpting in their muscles and their, 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 their chest and what they're doing. But you know, the reality is, and this is the part I might get in a little trouble for, but the reality is, is that I don't think women necessarily always look at the male body in exactly the same way as a man is looking at himself or thinking that he wants to be appreciated. Sometimes they're seeing something else. So there's always been this homoeroticism in the gym where guys, they want that attention. They want somebody to appreciate the work that they put in. And sometimes they feel they only get that from other men. And so in straight gyms, you'll often see a lot of posing, a lot of these, a lot of actions that you realize 
they're looking for that attention, including the sauna and so forth. And so the problem is, is that, you know, as a gay man, you never really know, is this, is this about ready to cross over into something else or is it just purely uh, for show? Well, I have so many um, straight friends at the gym who like, they love that I will openly flirt with them or I'm like, oh yeah, you look so good. And they're like, yeah. I'm glad I have your approval. Like it is interesting. <laughs> now I feel we kind of play it up with each other. Like, I think we've moved strides in that way. Um, but I always say some of the most open men, in my opinion, are bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah. Just from my experiences. Because like you've said, the posing, I also was reading something, I can't exactly find the source right now, but I was reading that um, straight men, they are some of the most obsessed when it comes to uh, penis sizes. And like you're saying, when I hear from women, women are actually not that impressed with penises. It's more yeah. men who are more yeah. like we're more impressed with like comparing it to each other. And that's not just gay men or, or queer men. That's yeah. all men. Yeah. Uh, so I understand what you're saying. I don't think you did it in gentle. I don't think anyone would be offended. I think so many men, they're at the gym. You know, they have that ancient Greek without knowing it. They're performing yeah. that aesthetic of what the gym and being nude and admiring bodies and sculpting is all about like that's what sculptors from the renaissance latched yeah. onto with the male physique yeah the male physique is okay so <laughs> i love that your analysis okay um that's what i love about these conversations i never know where it's gonna head with everyone's expertise as a you know queer culture yep. critic um okay so i love though when we get this line from um Oh yeah, Justin is talking to Daphne. His like, you know, he's the gay best friend of Daphne. Like we always have to have, you know, the straight friend and she's um I mean, there's like the pejorative term um yeah. for, you know, the straight girlfriend of a gay man. But I think that it's so interesting this dynamic and how open Justin is about just having lost his virginity to Brian. He's like, I, you know, lost my virginity, Daphne. And I started as a tight end and, and ended up as a wide receiver <laughs> as he's watching was, the football game. That was, that was cute. And it was, you know, and it was also cute that he was, he was really trying to go for some shock value with his friend and, and she wasn't. And he was very, he was very disappointed in that. He had to come out with a different, you know, some different uh, tactics in order to be able to make her go, wow, you did what? I know. Well, and we can already like see the seeds of mm -hmm. him really admiring. Um, I forget the character's name right now, but he's the football player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and eventually we'll see it reaches a certain climax, but we're not there yet. So, um, oh, that's right. And Daphne like says there's that spectacle of gay sex. Like, did it hurt? How painful was it? And he's like, at first it felt like a broom was shoved up there. And I was like, wait, what? I'm like, I don't think that's a good thing, Justin. <laughs> yeah, well, but it, yeah. A, but it can be kind of accurate. You know, they're not they're not pulling punches in this show. That's true. I mean, it was accurate of like losing your virginity. I think especially like, you know, to be a little graphic here, it's as someone who I can admit to it, I am a bottom usually, um, and I own it. 
you know, I like my pleasure. So I do think once you start to learn how to like loosen up and there's a certain way that it does not need to happen right away, like you can foreplay and enjoy other aspects. Um, I think when you lose your virginity though, yeah, you're right. I think Justin's act <laughs> description, you think that it is going to be painful and it, you know, usually is painful if you don't know that sensation. So. Well, just imagine, just imagine for tops that are trying to, you know, experiment with becoming versatile. Maybe they feel that almost every single time. And, and uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a big factor. So, I mean, that's the, you're looking at it from the, uh, I'll, I'll say it from the sex positive point of view. You're looking at it from the professional bottoms angle. What about for those amateurs? <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at it from the bottom gaze. Um, from the bottom viewpoint, not from <laughs> the tops. <laughs> yeah. I have to give the tops their due. Okay. Yes. Those poor tops, the things they have to, you do know though, right, Matt, have you ever heard that um, like gay for pay actors or straight men who yes. are, I mean, they're so um, profu uh, profuse in uh, gay pornography yeah. that so many of them are bottoms because like they have a hard time getting hard as tops. And I was like, oh, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I never um, thought about that part because that was very prevalent back in those, uh, you know, the 80s and so forth with uh, Falcon videos and all that because, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. Those were high-end productions. I think it still is. I think um same sex like men in same sex activities they make more money i think the feeling is well we could it's a dime a dozen to find a straight actor to be in straight porn yeah. like who's a man but like for them to be in queer porn is you know more raunchy or yeah i'm not sure i mean it's if anyone out there is in the porn industry i would like to know if that's changed i'm not sure matt well i yeah. think a lot has changed i mean i don't know if they're making quite as many videos that of course were vhs dvd then streaming but now with only fans and you know there's always been a, a fascination with more amateur uh which aka more realistic style of porn that at this moment in time i'm not sure where the where the lines are in terms of who's making who's the most successful and who's doing what yeah i mean i launched an only fans myself so and i launched it positive nowadays yeah i mean i launched it as my unfiltered conversations, but it's also nice to just like feel empowered with putting out my own content. And yeah, yeah, yeah there are followers. I have uh, some fans. Uh, you, you just start keep ramping that up and eventually you'll be able to start having that as part of your income. I know. Well, hey, anything that continues my, you know, risque, gay, literary, provocateur brand, as you know, Matt, uh, when I eventually secure a publicist, I'll make sure that like it's within my uh, contract. There must be the only fans. Okay. <laughs> so then we get what I just love is, um, okay. We get that whole encounter of, I'm trying to remember, I think it actually happened. It happens before the locker room scene, but where Justin's mother finds Brian's jock strap, or well, he, she doesn't know that, but yeah. she finds a jock strap or underwear. And she's like, that's not my son's underwear, is what you can tell she's thinking internally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that was good. And at first at that moment, I was it was a little unclear. So I remember even watching it again. I'm like, you know, she's seen that, but is she wondering if that's what her son is wearing now? Or, you know, where did that come from? Or did he bring it back from some trick and now he just sniffs it every once in a while to bring it back to 
uh, <laughs> that wonderful memory. Well, I just love that Justin, um, yeah, is nostalgically sniffing the underwear. I do feel like that was a real kinky behavior in that um, time. Or even like when I was in high school, I remember like thinking, oh, to remember this moment, um, you know, we should like maybe we should uh, keep each other's underwear. I don't know. I, I feel like that's kind of left our cultural con consciousness, but maybe, maybe people are I still think, keeping each other's underwear. I think they've been doing that for a very long time. Remember, people, there was a lot of stuff that was unknown until the internet came along and now videos and TikTok and all this, all that stuff that you see and you think, wow, this is like a new phenomenon. Maybe it's been happening. And you just never even knew it. It's true. It's just now being documented in film. Exactly. Um, okay, so I have here, Brian accuses Mike of being a butt plug. <laughs> exactly. I just remember that line stood out to me. Um, and I do really love Brian. That's the thing is Brian always gets painted in, I think, the narcissistic way. Like he's greedy. He only wants sex. Like he doesn't care about others, but he does really. Eventually we start to unpack his trauma which there's a lot there from his childhood. Um, but what he has with Mikey, I think is so beautiful. Um, I just love their friendship. I think it's, but do you think it's one-sided? Because I do feel like you could make a critique that oh. Mike really oh. wants more out of this. Yeah, but that's also, that's a great storyline unto itself. But um, but it's also very real and not just, uh, you know, the desire, but also, you know, that they balance each other out well. And so that's what oftentimes, you know, Mike probably sees in uh, in the other, in his, you know, I, I was, names fall out of my head sometimes, uh, but uh, Brian Kinney. So when he sees yeah. with, his, with his really close friend, I mean, what he sees though, is that he's able to express or do or say some of the things that he probably wishes that he could say or do. <laughs>
I can't wait for you all to hear our next Broadview press guest. It's coming in November. And definitely when you buy one of their horror or gothic novels or books, just make sure you tag us on Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and tag them too at Broadview Press. I know they'll love to share it. Okay, everyone, be careful if you're reading in the dark. I don't want you to get too scared. Turn a light on. Bye, everyone. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. And so that's also a part because... You know, Brian Kinney, not only you know, for all for all the things narcissistic and so forth, and but he's also um, he loves shock value. He loves to say things, including you know the butt plug. Everything is all about just like really. In fact, maybe that's his his way of controlling an environment or a situation is to shock them and throw them off kilter a little bit, and then he's in control. And so, but I think Mikey likes that, and you know, and vice versa. He's very attracted to some of the qualities of you know being grounded and and so forth that Mike brings to the table. Just like Samantha Jones. Exactly. You're right. I never thought of it before, but they are, um, you know, two sides of the same coin. And yeah. Sex in the City is pumping hard right now at the same time on HBO. Yeah. So these shows are running in tandem. Um, like you said, I, I guess it makes sense. Queer as Folk is a Sex and the City spinoff in a way for the queer community. Um, and I guess that was their branding, too. Um I would say that there's more personalities in Queer as Folk than there are in Sex in the City. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I never well, thought about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, even with, like, of course, sexuality. I mean, even though we have so many queer men, it is called Queer as Folk. It's not called, you know, Gay as Folk or Gay <laughs> Men as, like, Queer Men as Folk. Um, yeah, but, right, yeah. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I got into this with Christian in episode one. That's around the same time. So, like, the word queer is even being taken back by the community. Yeah. Um, and I do really love that we have, you know, such a central female couple. Because, um, you know, this, I do feel the series gets accused of not representing a lot of spectrum of the community, but I do think they're, they start to expand. Like oh, as the series goes on, it does start to branch out. Um, yeah. But you know, they're really, you have to, in my opinion, when you do a show, you have to 
centralize your characters, like find the locus and then build out. Like you can't, once you build out, okay, well, this is a critique. This is a critique I feel right now of a lot of shows, Matt, is that sometimes they try to do so much mm -hmm. with a full-fledged cast, like trying to have so much representation. It's not like they're, can't be representation, but I feel like sometimes they're trying to find every identity, but unfortunately it doesn't allow for a nuance of a character. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think, go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna say it's tricky. It's tricky in that sense. And, uh, and like, I don't know the answer to this, but I'd be curious to know, like, what was the ratio of, of gay men versus lesbians that watched Queers Folk? Because, mm. you know, they have the two women there and they play a very central role in, in a lot going on. But was that enough to be able to attract lesbians to be able to feel like they could identify and watch the rest of the show? I actually don't know that. But um, but like you were saying, uh, you can't be all things to all people. And so they 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 found a really, I think, a good balance at that time. But when you watch the L word and it's all lesbian all the time in that sense, and, and there's there's a lot less. In fact, in the in the modern or the newer reboot of the show, it's not so much male character as it is a transgender male character. So they're really they're really kind of uh, just touching on lightly, you know, bringing bringing uh, gay men into the situation. And so you know, and when you look at that also. These are these are lesbians from LA and and they have certain lifestyles that they try to bring to the table, which is very, very much probably doesn't make other lesbians in other parts of the country or the world feel as represented either. So they picked a really good niche, but it didn't mean that they were they had such broad appeal to make all lesbians go, oh, the L word is my show. Yeah, I thought one of the most recent shows that did a really good job, in my opinion, was the new um, Tales of the City. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, I love Laura Linney, but yeah. um, uh, Elliot Page is in it. And I thought like the way they blended all the characters worked looking, I thought did a really good job with that. Um, yeah, I will talk about the new Queerest Folk. I haven't actually watched the new Queerest Folk because I've been waiting until I get into yeah. this series. Yeah. But I know that it's a very different take. So it's it's, uh, it's a very pale comparison to what they created back then it's not a i watched it and i was just uh, i i felt i didn't i didn't feel very fulfilled that by the time i finished i was like eh, that was that wasn't really worth my time yeah i mean i'm still right now i'm still looking for a queer focused show that um i i think we're always going to turn to queer as folk in my opinion it's a, such a touchstone like we keep looking back and it's not going to be what it was when you look back. Like, that's how I feel about And Just Like That. I actually thought this season probably got, hit its stride the best. Um, but they've had growing pains. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's not like watching Sex in the... Again, I think to take chances right now, you're going to put your foot in your mouth. Like, people don't want to put their foot in their mouth. It's... Even if it's for shock value. That's why, like, even Brian's saying, Mikey, you're a butt plug. Like, yeah, I know, I know. But this is it, like a gold this is like a golden age of television now though in the sense that with all the programming we have through Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu and so forth and there are and the reality is is that there's not always necessarily an all queer show a lot of them you know just a lot of queer characters within the shows but now we're seeing uh shows uh from all over the world now too and so the amount of the variety and quality and content that we have available to us 
is is huge and every like i said like everywhere you turn i mean i just was watching ragnarok on netflix and you know it's like another you know norwegian subtitled show lesbian character put in so everywhere you go you're seeing that more and more which uh which also is a positive reflection of the times i think yeah the queer community is now integrated yeah and it, we've now it's been assimilated into the media um into these narratives like even i'm watching the new american horror story with kim kardashian and andy cohen was in the first episode it's like yeah so you're right i think it's basically the argument is and it's not an argument but i guess the binary is do we want niche like queer as folk or do we want assimilation yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with the gayborhoods. Yeah. I think we're it's a reflection of this time um, with what we're seeing in TV. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, then you have a, sh a movie like Red, White, and Royal Blue, and there is fanfare of the focus of the characters. But again, it's probably not going to have a mainstream broad appeal. So... Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. funny how... It's really funny how that movie came out in so many, so many tweets and... And Facebook posts as people felt very passionately about you know sharing their thoughts on that. But it was funny because uh, I do I do respect and understand that some people thought it was one of the most amazing gay films they've ever seen. But uh, I thought it was pretty cheesy. And I we, we watched it with a group of other uh, gay men, and uh, we were you know we poked fun at it, laughed at it, but you know still made it through the two hours. But I never I never understood how some thought that was like such high quality <laughs> programming. I think one of the best. Everyone out there, if you've never seen Moonlight, in my yeah. opinion, I think Moonlight is one of the best queer, especially with a queer black narrative, which we don't see a lot in Hollywood. Um, I thought it was one of the incredible, you know, and even though I know Army Hammer is put under the, you know, put through the ringer and has all those accusations, I still think Call Me By Your Name as a movie yeah. Yeah. is just so well done. So, okay. But I am curious. I am about to see A Haunting in Venice. I'm wondering if any of these horror movies coming up are going to have queer representations. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe The Exorcist. No, no. Maybe the, maybe the priest is gay. Okay. But as long as it doesn't feel forced. If it feels forced yes. that they're pushing it in there, you're like, eh, did they need to do that? But if it's a really good integral part of the story, then, it, then it's much appreciated on my end. Yes. Oh, and the new interview with the vampire. I'm going to be oh. talking about that on the podcast. So that's a really interesting. I mean, Anne Rice was always doing queer coding and oh, her yeah. son is openly gay, Christopher. So yeah. yeah, it is. Okay. So there's a lot going on right now, but okay. Back to, back to 2000. Um, okay. So, okay. Lindsay and Melanie are having their spat about Brian and insurance money. Um, Melanie hates Brian basically yep, in every yep. episode. Um, but I do think it's interesting when we get the Brian and Mikey 14 year old story about dirty dancing and Patrick Swayze. Like, what did you think about their like realization that each other was gay? I thought that that was interesting of their foundational moment. Well, that's the whole thing. The show brings out, brings to light a lot of experiences that, that, LGBT community has had, you know, growing up. And so that's why I was even saying, you know, having Justin in high school and then, so you're seeing the, the range of that. And so, you know, the reality is, is that most of us probably have a story like that in our, in our past, as far as that curiosity and, you know, crossing over into that, that, you know, discovery and boundary. And it, and it was done in, in a very, you know, it was done in a very 
good way where especially towards the end when you see how it really played out instead of how they were describing it verbally and you're like wow you know that's a it's it's a touching moment while at the same time it's kind of a bit of a turn on so uh so i think it was a very accurate way of showing another aspect of our lives well and um you know if you have another five minutes is that okay man yeah, yeah. okay so i do feel like i should open up about one of my experiences which is I remember in eighth grade being on the computer, like now we're in the advent of LimeWire when I was in middle school. So I had found some, you know, porn and yeah. I'm starting to like, just remembering even, oh my gosh, this is like the nude body. And like, this is what men can do with each other. And of course my dad walks in and I was like, I'm like, oh, it just had popped up. It was a, um, spam ad <laughs> I don't even know the excuse it was complete bullshit and I like said to my dad you know I'm just kind of curious with my sexuality and he's like okay um I mean I have to give it to my dad he did not reprimand me he was just yeah. like okay well I do remember him saying um at least you're honest about watching porn um but you know, it's not an accurate representation of sex or I don't know, it's something to that effect. But I came out when I was a freshman in high school, like the year after. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't a surprise, I think, to my parents because they knew I had seen gay porn. But I do remember that like heightened heartbeat of like watching the material for the first time. Or even I remember with my um, guy friends in middle school when they were like, do you know, that we can, um, you know, we're going through puberty and that we can ejaculate. And it was like this mystery of like, what? What happens with the penis? Yep, and yep. Like, I'm not sure if that happened to you, Matt, but I remember my like friends, we would each, and it didn't matter that they were gay or not, but like each saying to one another, oh my gosh, do you know what I did last night? Yeah, it, no, it all, I, think, I think kids have been going through that for a very, you know, for a very long time. But also remember that, you know, back in, you know, there's always been outlets. I mean, the same, you know, the same way you're describing, you know, seeing porn for the first time on a computer, you know, for, for me and my generation, it was, uh, you know, we were lucky that there were, there were actual gay, gay porn theaters, but only in big cities. And so I had a fake ID. I went to this, this gay porn theater in Hollywood. And uh, I remember just shaking going in, you know, I was so scared going into that place and then sitting in there and watching I remember to this day, you know, it was the first time I've ever seen anything like that on the big screen. Yeah, I mean, and when you, well, even couldn't you go to adult um, bookstores and like they had gay themes, like gay genre porn? Yeah, but that really, I, I would say that that blossomed more once like VHS and that whole, because then you had, then you had the content that you would, that you would see in there. But prior to that, um, they they probably existed because you'll see that in, in, in movies, but uh um, I didn't, I never felt like it was something that I had that much access to. Yeah. And it is so interesting to me how many um, adult bookstores still exist. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they're, you know, they're still going. Um, but okay. So thank you it for opening years, up. It that. took me years to figure out what that hole was for. I thought it was a people. <laughs> yeah. That's not a people, Matt. <laughs> it's not a people. Uh, <laughs> but I even remember, was it in Blockbuster? I do remember there was like an 18 and over section. Cause yeah, like, I would be like, what's behind the door? Like, what is this place? Like what's yeah, but, the secret? 
it's all timing because I worked at a I worked at Warehouse Records in 19, summer of 1984, and that summer of 1984 was huge. That's when VHS, that's when CD, CDs first came out, and VHS. So you had this huge change in in, in a store like that, and so we we ended up uh, we had um, converted a whole section of the store into renting VHS videotapes, and so there you are, where you know in that realm there was probably like ten porn movies that could be rented and you know those were always rented out because there's you know it was just it opened up a whole new it tapped into something that had been uh, uh, just waiting to be tapped into so it was very interesting hi did i mention that it's spooky season this is dr andrew rimby and guess what i have so many halloween and fall designs and crafts in my apartment. And guess what? There is a person who's made me so many Halloween horror fall themed items. And her name is Mandy Bengal. She owns Mandy Made It, a craft crochet company. So Mandy talked to me and said, Andrew, I want everyone out there to know that if they mention ITBR and that they heard my ad, that I will give them a free ITBR t-shirt. So make sure you mention ITBR. An order from Mandy, crocheted pumpkins, that she actually is using cinnamon sticks as the stem, which is a brilliant idea. How cozy. And also filling the pumpkins with potpourri. I already want to wrap myself in a blanket. She has Halloween keychains, other Halloween crochet designs. So how can you reach out to her? Go to her Facebook or Instagram at Mandy Made It, reach out to her. She will ship items out to you. If you live in the South New Jersey, Philly area, she'll arrange to have you either pick it up or deliver it to you. So Mandy just makes such beautiful crocheted items. And I'm so happy that she supports the podcast. I've known Mandy since I was a child. We were in theater camp together. That's how I met Mary. So the three of us have known each other a long time. Okay, head over to Mandy Made It for your handmade crocheted items for this Halloween and fall. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic Movie Great Movie Ride in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly. The list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. 
So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. Yeah. So then there's this line where, um, oh yeah, Brian is 29 right now. And someone says, I think Mikey, you'll be 30. You might as well be dead. <laughs> That's just the game, man. We, you know, we love hearing that, especially guys in their 20s. I always think to myself, like, where, who came up with these things and why does that perpetuate? Because it's uh, being on the other side of 30s, 40s and 50s. It's not true at all. It, uh, it Especially your 30s. That's uh, those are some of those are some amazing years. Yeah, I mean, I already I'm just fully full throttle loving my early yeah. 30s. So yeah. you're right. You're finding your individuality, your voice. It's very empowering. I'm even thinking about, you know, having a husband or if I have a child, I'm like, okay, the thirties, these are big moments. Um, <laughs> again, you can have a child whenever, but um, yeah. I don't know. They're just, these questions are starting to come up more in my mind. Okay. So, oh yes. And then ah, we get Brian when Brian really upsets me, which is he finds, is it the 10 inch cock guy hookup or it's like some, yeah. Some yeah. huge cocked guy that he's going to hook up with in his apartment. Um, yeah. And he invites him over. And then, of course, Justin is in need of seeing Brian. And um, the hookup guy is actually so empathetic. He's like, yeah. you can't treat him like this. Like, you, you can't allow a young kid to just leave on the streets without following him. And... Brian's like, okay, I guess I'll go after him. Um, but you, what did you say? You said that made you angry or something? Or you... Well, it made me upset with Brian that he, um, no, no, not with the hookup guy. I thought the hookup guy was actually really redeeming in this moment. I feel that Brian, again, we could paint him as having no feelings and like, he is just viewing every man as a sex vessel or tool for his, you know, outlet and frustration. But I am glad Brian does follow Justin. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, there's the whole, you know, that's extremely indicative of today's culture. I mean, gay, gay culture, you know, the, you know, Brian, Brian had a hookup come over and, um, and the fact that, that Justin just decided to, you know, have puppy, puppy love in his eyes and, and is c confused about where things are going and just shows up. Um, I was on Brian's side. I was like, I would have just said like, dude, you have absolutely no, you know, you're really misreading this situation. Um, you need to go. And, uh, you know, and the fact that it all kind of happened all together, it was very well choreographed for the, for the show. But I think that's very, I think that's very typical as far as how people feel. And uh, a lot of gay men, you know, I got myself in trouble when I was picking on gay men for using Grinder to be able to order in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a few snacks in between. And I thought maybe that might be a little too much. And this guy looked at me and said, felt he was being judged. And I said, oops, sorry, I didn't realize that uh, you, you were one of them that, uh, you know, that that ordered in a few times per day. But, <laughs> but, to, the straight, but to the straight world, that's crazy because they're like, you, you guys do what? And so that's where seeing that scene, it is reflective of, not all of us, but but some of us. And a lot of, and in the gay world, a lot of them. Yeah, well, I absolutely, you know, 
love that Brian is always eager to like, you know, have his choice of a man and yep. like you said, enjoy his meals. Um, yep. But you're right. I think Justin, again, I'm starting to feel more for Justin now because we're getting the picture of him coming out and yeah. he's young, like he's 17. And I think I'm looking back at my 17 year old self and like, I lost my virginity at the same time Justin did. And I just remember what it was like when you really were invested in thinking that's like this sexual awakening meant like a long-term relationship. And it, yeah. it doesn't in a hookup sense, but Justin doesn't know that. Right. <laughs> I feel for Justin. Um, yeah. But Brian, I do have to say, you can tell um, Brian says our hookup, that's all it was. It was just a hookup. And I don't believe in love. I believe in fucking. That's what Brian says to Justin. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, you can tell, though, Brian doesn't really believe that. Like, he's just saying uh, the lines. Like, this is what he thinks he's doing. Like, yeah. he's just fucking. But there's something different with Justin. Like you can tell Brian is feeling away. Like even when he looks back at Justin crying, he's yeah. not, you know, he doesn't mock Justin. He just stares at him. So I don't know. I think, I think we're, they're prepared. They're preparing us for something. Exactly. Bad. It's all the character development. And it's a good character development. I think it's such a strong bond in a relationship. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I miss in today's television. I miss that uh, almost edging in a way, like they're edging us towards something. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we get it too quickly. Like we just get, they're in love. And I'm like, wait, but what happened to get them in love together? Yeah. Um, so how did you feel, you know, with Justin fleeing the scene crying? Oh, I mean, you of course you feel bad for him because that's, you know, the, you can't help but not to but at the same time i would just like it's just sadly as he's young and it's all it's just all part of his his uh growing pains that in many ways we all had to go through some version of all that over through our years to make us who we are today yes yes oh i had many i had many uh crying moments and as an undergrad when i thought i was in love with um a man and it did not turn out that way i mean i think you never um again when you put yourself out there romantically, you're going to have rejection or you're going to cry. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. sad. I wish we could stop each other from feeling hurt, but you're yeah. right. And there are men that we really are invested in and they're right in front of our eyes or men who are invested in you. I mean, I've had those moments and I feel for those men, but I'm like, you know, I just don't feel that way towards you. And yeah. it hurts them. Yeah, yeah. And I so don't want to hurt them, but I also want to be honest. Yeah, no, it's just it's the it's the human condition. Maybe I'm Brian. Oh no, <laughs> it's maybe, all coming to terms. Maybe the I do power have someone the, coming over right now, Matt. I just <laughs> maybe the power of the show is that there's a little bit of Brian in each of us. That's true. Okay, well, I think we have to end this so I can meet up with ten inch cock hookup guy at my door. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh god, that moment though. Um. Oh my god, and then Justin accuses. This hookup guy, he's like, and he's ugly. And I'm like, whoa, Justin. He's hurt. He doesn't know how to, he's just lashing out. I know, I know. Oh, well, Matt, this has been such a good time. Um, anything you want to, you know, plug, uh, how to follow you, you know, 
share it all out with everyone yeah, since no, you have a captive audience. Especially with something like this. Now we're just uh, on social media. We have the I Love Gay Network. And so especially with this, we have a, a Twitter profile, I Love Gay TV, that's very prolific on uh, sharing and amplifying these sort of messages and stories out there. And so, yeah, find find us, follow us. And, uh, and uh, we just really appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here with you. Well, this was wonderful, Matt. So thank you so much. I have um, a link in the show notes to Matt's um, YouTube show, podcast, um, I Love Gay Today, Pink Media, all the things that Matt does. This has been <laughs> wonderful. Can't wait to see what happens in episode three. I have a feeling uh, this is just the beginning of shit hitting yeah. the fan with Justin and Brian, which <laughs> every episode... <laughs> Brian and Justin, it's going to be rocky. Yep. Always. Okay, well, thank you, Matt. And bye thank to the you. audience out there. Until yeah. next time. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. I want to thank you so much for listening to the ITBR and TCIA episodes. Make sure if you don't, follow, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you follow ITBR on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and TCIA on TikTok and Instagram at True Crime and Academia. Also, we have a brand new Patreon membership system. So I just want to explain it to you all quickly. So if you want to become an ITBR student, it is $5 a month. You get ad-free ITBR and TCIA episodes and video interviews. If you want to become an ITBR professor for $10 a month, you get all of those ad-free benefits, but you also get access to both the ITBR and TCIA book clubs. You can join both book clubs, get ad-free episodes, plus you're going to get all of our extra video episodes. So I am re-watching Queer as Folk. Christian Garcia from That Old Gay Classic Cinema is joining us, and he's re-watching Smash. Um, Mary is going to start to rewatch shows as well. You even get access to what I'm calling the ITBR teaches. So if I'm recapping a movie or a TV show, including Barbie, um, Halloween movies and horror films, you get access to that as well. And then I also am offering consultation services. So for $30, you get your first initial consultation with me. It's a one hour private Zoom. I will help create a, your podcast, your media brand. How do you navigate academia as an undergrad or a grad student? Do you need help with technology? It could be teaching tools, Spotify for podcasters, video editor so software. Do you want to expand your social media presence as an artist, writer, podcaster, or academic? Do you want help on how to create a public humanities identity like I've created for myself? So I now I'm offering that consultation service. You can find more info about it on Patreon. And you also can join our book clubs. If you want to just join the ITBR book club or the TCIA book club, you can do that for $4 a month. Patreon.com backslash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thanks to the team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor. And thank you to our two new interns from Stony Brook University, Jonathan and Sarah. Bye everyone, until next time.